crises sex ed. What they won't teach you in school is the name of a website on YouTube that has numerous video entries discussing sex topics with titles like best sex ever, best oral sex for women, best oral sex for men, basic sex ed on STDs, and many more. Viewership of these videos is high from about 200,000 for the sex ed video on STDs to an astounding 40 million on an entry entitled Making Your Partner Happy. Here to talk about her site and video clips is Kaisi, and also on the line is Rachel Ketcher, who is a new media specialist in the Division of STD Prevention at CDC. Welcome to you both. Uh, let's get started with you, Kaisi. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got started on this site? Well, you know, I really got started as just a user of YouTube. Um, I watched other people just talking about everything and nothing and found people talking about nothing important, really interesting, and thought, oh, I can do that. I can talk about nothing. And so I started talking about just random topics, and then it quickly evolved into me talking about my passion and what I'm going to school for, and that's sex education and sex therapy. And I noticed a huge spike in views and in people really interested, and not only just very interested, but all of a sudden questions started pouring into my message box and just people with all sorts of questions telling me that nowhere else to turn, please answer, you know, our questions so much so that within a couple months of me starting to talk, uh, make videos that had to do about sexuality, then there were so many messages I couldn't even respond to them all. And then that kind of just evolved into what it is today. Could you describe the site in a little bit more detail and the type of videos? And I think you call them vlogs, right? Maybe you could explain what a vlog is first. <laughs> yeah. Um, a vlog comes from, it used to be called a blog, which stood for web log, which was just someone logging their life on the Internet, on the web. But a vlog is a video log. I didn't ever intend on talking to youth. I started what I called a quote-unquote advanced sex ed series that from the very beginning said that my audience was supposed to be above 18. This was kind of assuming that you had the basic knowledge. And I did that for a long time. I really just addressed more adult topics and concerns, but realized really quickly that whether I liked it or not, I couldn't leave it at that. There were too many youth who had questions, and those questions weren't getting answered anywhere else. So I did as much research as possible to find out what I could possibly answer um, and what I was legally and not legally allowed to answer to them. And then I started doing a more basic sex ed series and talking about STDs and virginity and things of that nature. I was kind of wondering, the titles of your blogs are pretty enticing, maybe for people to just log on because it's about sex and those kinds of things. But what you're telling me is that uh, a lot of the responses you got was really about the content and about questions that your listeners had to sexual health topics. Um, both sexual health and sexual pleasure. Um, and, of course, they go hand in hand whether people realize it or not. But, yeah, I get a lot more questions about sexual health from my younger viewers and questions on sexual satisfaction from my older viewers. And I guess, you know, that, that makes sense. But um, I mean, I get literally hundreds of messages a day about the content of the videos. 
Do you think that with all that you're you're reaching your target audience, you know, the the people that you really intended to to reach with your your messages? Well, YouTube has this great new feature called Insight where you can actually get the exact demographics of who your audience is, exactly where in the world you're being viewed, which amazingly I have viewers in 175 of the countries that the UN recognizes out of 190. So pretty much viewers in almost every country in the world. But the interesting thing I found, well, it wasn't all that interesting, but kind of expected, <laughs> was that it's 70% men, yes. men that watch, and only 30% women. And so I, I definitely want to try and do something to steer this more towards women, to draw more women in. I have a few ideas. Let me bring uh, Rachel into the uh, discussion here as well. Rachel, you've viewed a number of these videos. What's your take on this? I think what I found most admirable about, about this site is that Kaisi kind of took it upon herself to provide sex information to her peers. What I thought it highlighted was the need that youth have and for young adolescents have for sex information and education, and it highlights that we as adults, inclusive of parents and educators and legislators, as the youth's collective mentors and guides through life, we're not providing them with the information and resources they need or at the very least we're not telling them how to find and access just the resources that do exist. So instead people are having to resort to themselves or to each other for information. And a lot of times, not Kaisi's site, but on other sites like on YouTube and, and on the web, the information that's being passed around is not accurate or it's not meeting the needs of the youth. And I think that's another thing about your site that's so interesting is that it does also talk about sexual pleasure, which we often separate from STD prevention. So back to you, Kaisi. How do you make sure that the information that you provide on your vlogs is, is accurate? For example, you know, when you talk about STDs, how, how do you go about researching that? There's several ways. Uh, one is talking to my own personal doctors. You know, that when I, when I go, I always have my list of questions, not just for myself, but, oh, I've heard, you know, this. What are your thoughts on it? Um, that's a great source for anybody, I think, but that's just one source and just one doctor. So then you have to go and do some really good internet research, whether that's searching peer-reviewed journal articles, a lot of government information. It's just, it's really, I mean, it, that takes me a lot of hours. You know, I tell people it's my full-time job, and it is. They tell me, how in the world can a 10-minute video be your full-time job? And it's because it takes so much gathering of information to, to make sure that I'm right. And then what I typically do is once I have all of that, you know, I've, I've talked to people who I consider professionals in their field and then done the actual research, um, you know, the really credible stuff. I then run it by my mom, who is a nurse, and she works with sexual assault victims. You know, she knows a little bit more in, in that field, too, and run it by her and be like, you know, do you think I'm missing anything here? Do you think I covered everything? So... That's my, that's my best shot at it. But still, I keep having to remind people that while I do all of that, I'm still just their peer. Right, and you make that very clear on your site as well. Rachel, you know, it's incredible the reach that Kaisi has with her site. What are sort of the, the lessons for us in public health about using these media for our public health interventions? I think it's that we need to be where the adolescents are, and they're online, and they're using their mobile phones, and as is very typical with public health, we're always a couple steps behind. I have to give us credit, though. You know, this is a field 
that through organizations like the Center for Excellence and, and our division at the CDC, we've really tried to stay at least in time with the curve, you know, not fall behind. But I think it's being out there. Kaisy, I think it's actually really good that you have such a large demographic of males mm-hmm. because we find, and especially coming from a feminist perspective, STDs mm-hmm. and, and safer sex responsibility largely falls on women, as do the consequences. And mm-hmm. oftentimes men don't even realize they have an STD because oftentimes it's asymptomatic. And so to get boys and men engaged in preventing STDs is so imperative because we put so, like everything we put on women, get vaccinated, you know, get tested for chlamydia, all that stuff falls on women. Most of our recommendations are for women, and we don't have enough for men. And so I, I actually think that's great that, you know, you have that many men on your site because you're actually reaching a group that is very hard to reach. That is interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's definitely yeah. true. Yeah, and, and maybe I can actually think of, of how to best target men into doing it. You know, exactly. Get them to take some responsibility and, and feel involved and, and want to yeah. protect their partners. And actually, I wanted to ask, um, as you know, Kaisi, I'm, or I'm sure you know that the CDC released data that one in four uh, young women are infected with at least one STD. And there's been a ton of discussion about how we can reach both young men and women and being kind of part of that age group, can you give us suggestions as public health professionals on how we can better reach that I mean, core population? Yeah, there's so much I could say about that. I mean, without getting into the moral part of it, I think one of the worst things that's happened is we shot ourselves in the foot with the abstinence-only programs, where total lies were given, like, you know, condoms are completely ineffective. So many youth write me and tell me, my sex ed teacher says this, is that really true? And so what we've done is all this stuff that we have to protect ourselves and to protect our youth, well, all this propaganda has been put out there to tell them that it's useless. And so now we have to fight back and go, no, it's not useless, guys. We kind of have to do some damage control. So that's definitely one big thing. The other is that so many of our youth are so scared to get tested because they don't know if mom and dad have to know. And it really varies state to state, whether the parents are notified. And I tell kids, you know, I don't know, check into your local state laws. Chances are you might not have to get parental permission to be treated. But so many of them are scared that if I go get tested and it's positive, mom and dad are going to get a call and they're going to kill me. And, of course, they feel like they cannot talk to their parents. So somehow providing this confidential place where they can get tested because so many of the STDs are treatable. So many are not, but so many are. So if we could start getting them tested, of course, we could highly reduce that one in four number. But really, my thing, probably the only thing I can really affect, is I try and give youth permission to stop and just think. Because so often, their peers are telling them stuff, and they're just being bombarded 24-7, every day of the year bombarded with pressure. And in fact, I'm talking a little bit with the Above the Influence campaign, and I think what's really great is this idea that you just stop and think. And if if you can convince someone to just stop and think about what they're about to do, then chances are they're going to be more responsible about it, and they're going to do something they're less likely to regret. And I think if we combined all three of those things I just said with, you know, doing damage control with what the abstinence-only program has done, trying to figure out how to get kids tested with and deal with their fear of their parents finding out, and then giving 
kids permission to stop and think a moment, then that would make a huge difference. You know, bringing up the parental thing, you know, it's something that we actually don't talk about often because one of our big pushes here at the CDC is to increase kids to get tested. And we always think of it in terms of stigma, that actually that's more of a deterrent. And we never actually think about the confidentiality piece because I think we assume it's there because we do do a lot to assure confidentiality and anonymity. But if the kids don't know that... They have no idea. They have no idea. I, I can, I mean, from the thousands of messages I've gotten, I can tell you... I've never once heard a kid go, I know I could get tested and mom and dad wouldn't find out, but... Okay, so how about this? What Now, how would we get that information out there without upsetting parents? Because we don't... That's the other... We always have to balance what we tell our youth with with their parents. That is, I think, instead of saying something about parents, I I would highlight the very special relationship a doctor or a health professional has with their patient and that that is entirely confidential from everyone. And then instead of saying your parents won't know, you're saying, you know, it's totally confidential. And I think, you know, they have to report to the CDC if certain cases come up positive. But if you somehow did a campaign of something telling kids the relationship between you and your health provider is totally confidential, no one's going to get a phone call about the results kind of thing. With that in mind, Kaisi, do you have any plans with your site as to where you want to move with this? You know, I swore I was never going to do sex ed, and yet it's just it's kind of been exactly where everything has gone. So I've just kind of gone with the flow. I'm definitely going to continue on with, I have a, you know, I'm calling it my basic sex ed series and my advanced sex ed what I would really love to do is eventually create, as soon as I'm done with my bachelor's, I'm going to try and get my certification through ASECT as a sex educator, and then create a video series where parents can be involved and can actually use these videos. The parents would order them and use these videos to provide very comprehensive sex ed with their kids and not just little pamphlets and not relying on your school's program. So that's definitely an eventual goal. But as to my YouTube stuff, I'm just going to continue what I'm doing. I'm going to try and focus a little more on the the basic sex ed. I haven't yet addressed pregnancy and birth control options. That was my next step. Of course, the biggest thing is always how to find funding to do this sort of thing. That's the biggest hindrance. Well, how to find funding, but also how to find time. It looks like you're plenty busy with the site as it is. Well, that's the thing. I'm a full-time student. I take about 16 and 19 credit hours a semester. But then YouTube is my full-time job, as in my paying full-time job. So the funding is critically important because I spend probably 60 hours a week answering messages, making videos, answering more messages, (laughs) doing research, that kind of thing. Thank you very much, Kaisi, for being with us. And Rachel uh, in, in Atlanta, thank you very much. And Kaisi, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone.